<clears throat> How many of you were here last week? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Good, I'm glad. Uh, chapter 14 of Romans was a challenging chapter. Uh, and it really pushed us to rethink some of the ways that we approach different if- issues uh, with our brothers and sisters. Um, and so for this week, I'm going to do something that I don't typically do. Uh, I'm going to do some more unpacking from what we read last week, um, which is good because chapter 15, which we are actually going to touch on today, does kind of piggyback right on uh, to what chapter 14 told us. But first, I want to tell you a story about my kids, <clears throat> which always makes them so happy when I talk about them on Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, Zeke and Jed are pretty different, and they have been different since, since they were born. Uh, Zeke was always a pretty cautious and careful child, and he was that way from the very beginning. He was not really one to climb on top of stuff or to jump off of things. He was one to kind of take it more easy and see what everyone else was going to do and, and sort of make his decisions like that. Uh, and, and just to give you a little bit of an example of, of what he was like, when, when Zeke was a baby, you know, when you feed babies, <clears throat> you, you, you know, you use a spoon, you put the food in their mouths, that's how it usually works, I guess. <laughs> well, when Zeke was learning to feed himself, he would take the spoon and put the food in his mouth and then scrape his own mouth to get the extra food off, you know? That's how he was, yeah. I don't know where he got that from. But uh, he would do that when he was a kid. So, interestingly enough, that did not lead to him being a neat teenager. But, you know, that's another, that's another story. Uh, Zeke loved riding his bike when he was a kid. And we lived next door to the church building that, that we worked, the church that we worked at at the time. There was this huge parking lot. So Zeke could go out and he would ride his bike in the parking lot as he was growing up. And he loved to ride his bike in the parking lot. And around, I don't know what time it was, age four, age five, age six, something like that, I decided it was time to take Zeke's training wheels off so that he could ride his bike without his training wheels. And uh, Zeke was not totally on board with that idea. And so I took his training wheels off and we went out to the parking lot and I'm running beside him and, and he would be okay as long as I had my hand on the bike. But as soon as I took my hand on the bike, Zeke would do this and almost fall and I'd have to catch him. And then we would try again and he would do the same thing every time. So I concluded, because I'm a really smart guy, that Zeke was not ready to have his training wheels taken off yet. So we put his training wheels back on and Zeke was perfectly happy to ride his bike with the training wheels on. Well, Jed is four years younger than Zeke and Jed was always one to be more adventurous. I'm not sure he's that way now, Uh, but he was always one to be more adventurous. And so he also loved to ride the big wheel, which Zeke used to have, and and he loved to ride his bike. But what Jed would do is there was this hill that went up to the church building, and Jed would get on his big wheel and ride down this hill on the big wheel, pick up as much speed as he could, and then power slide across the parking lot to the curb. Like, that's what he would do. So when Jed turned about four and Zeke turned about eight, Zeke still had his training wheels on. And I told Zeke, we need to take your training wheels off. And he was just like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to. And Jed says, well, I'll take my training wheels off. (laughs) And Zeke says, no, you can't take your training wheels off. You're not old enough. And I said, well, I mean, if he wants to try, I'm going to let him try. So Zeke said, well, then I'm going to take my training wheels off too. 
And that day, I'm telling you, that day, Zeke learned to ride his bike without his training wheels because he was not going to let his four-year-old brother <laughs> ride his bike without training wheels before him. What does that have to do with this week? Well, it has to do a lot with this week, actually. So let's take a look at what we learned last week. So for those of you who were here, I think there were only a couple of you that weren't. We were in Romans chapter 14. And the church in Rome was dealing with some issues that were causing division within the community. Uh, one was what they could eat or drink. One group believed that people should only eat vegetables. And another group believed that people could eat anything they wanted. And uh, Paul made it clear that the strong group within this scenario was the group that knew they could eat anything. Those who felt like they could only eat vegetables were the weak group. Now, this was a spiritual matter because the opinions on these things, on whether you could just eat vegetables or whether you could eat anything, were formed by one's relationship with God, meaning that the group that had freedom was given that freedom from God. They understood that as a spiritual practice, they didn't have to refrain from eating anything, that God had made all things clean and they could eat whatever they wanted. But the group that chose to only eat vegetables, um, they could have had that freedom as well, but through their relationship with God, they understood that they should only eat vegetables. And so you have these two groups of people within the same church who have made a spiritual decision, one, to eat anything, one, to eat only vegetables. And the question that we addressed last week is who is right amongst these two groups? Well, the group that decided they could only eat vegetables because this is what uh, their relationship with God has been telling them, they could have had the same freedom as those who were able to eat anything. But the fact of the matter is, was for whatever reason, and Paul does not tell us this, okay? Paul does not instruct us as to exactly why there's a difference between these two groups. But for whatever reason, the people who are choosing to just eat vegetables are not ready for the freedom that everyone else has. They're just, there is something that is holding them back. And therefore, their consciences were telling them that it was not okay to eat everything, but that they could only eat vegetables. So what was to be done? One group had freedom, the other group did not, but both groups were following God. So Paul made clear what was to be done. Those who were strong, who could eat anything, were to make concessions for those who were weak, those who were only eating vegetables. So they were to refrain from eating meat around those who would only eat vegetables, even though technically they were right in choosing to eat everything. You with me? Okay, sound familiar? Yes, good. Now, why were they to do this? They were to do this because if it was a problem for their brother and sister in Christ to eat meat, then they were not to force them to violate their conscience for a freedom they were not ready for. By doing so, if they made them violate their conscience, they would call into question the weaker brother or sister's relationship with God. And Paul says that they would destroy the weaker brother or sister by forcing them to go against what their spirit was telling them. So instead, the strong were to make a choice, and I want you to hear this, because they were strong. You with me? They were to make 
a choice to walk alongside those who were weak, not destroying their faith, but building it up so that they too might grow into the freedom that God had for them. So while the anything eaters were around the vegetable eaters, they would only eat vegetables for the sake of their brothers and sisters. And we saw that this was not the only issue at question. The other one uh, was whether people should observe holy days or not. Within the Jewish calendar, there were a whole bunch of different feasts, a whole bunch of different holy days, including a holy day that came every week, the Sabbath. And there was a disagreement over whether one had to observe all these feasts or all these holy days or not. And again, this was an important spiritual question to the community. And one side, who again, Paul says, is the weaker side, believed that they needed to observe all of these holy days. But I want you to hear their rationale. Why would this side want to continue to observe all of the holy days they had always observed? Because what was the purpose of the holy days? To honor God. And so when they are looking at how this whole scenario plays out, the question that is in their mind is, well, why would we stop observing days for God? Isn't it better that we observe these days for God? So they believe that they were honoring God by doing these. But the other side, which is called the strong side, believed that every day was holy to God, and they had never grown up observing all of these holy days, and so they don't get why they should do these specific things on these specific days. So what was to be done in this case? Those who felt they should observe the holy days should go ahead and observe the holy days, and those who did not feel the same were not to keep them from doing so. In fact, if they were invited, they should go join them to observe those days. So, what do we learn from these experiences and these, these scenarios which seem honestly like a little bit weird to us? We learn something really important. Everyone does not have to be at the same place at the same time spiritually. Let me say that one more time because I think this was the key thing that got lost a little bit in all of the information last week. Everyone does not have to be at the same place at the same time spiritually. So, if someone hasn't worked out something with God yet, and someone else has more freedom than them that they've worked out than God, then that person who is still struggling with it is exactly where they need to be. And it's not up to the stronger person to force them into something that they are not ready for. Through the guidance of God and the encouragement of the strong, they will ultimately grow into the freedom that God has for them, but they cannot be forced, and hear me, no one can be forced to grow into something they're not ready for. It just, it doesn't work that way. Both the strong and the weak, Paul says, are serving God. And God needs to be able to help people grow in the way and the pace that he sees fit, not how you see fit. So here's the key to all of it. The strong are not to look down on the weak. Freedom in such matters, as we said last week, tends to create an attitude of superiority. Well, I have this freedom. I'm strong, and look, you could have this too, but you're just choosing not to. 
And it's tempting to hold up for ridicule those whose own lifestyle is more restricted than those who have freedom. But just because those who have freedom have progressed further in their relationship with God, it does not mean that they are better than those who have not, and they are not to look down on them. It just means that the weaker brother or sister just hasn't made it that far yet. And you need to give them time to get there. However, the weaker brother or sister is also not to judge those who are strong. Because in this scenario, what do the weak not see? They don't see their weakness. Instead, they view their refusal to eat meat or their observance of holy days as being more spiritual, as being more religious than, than those who are not doing so. And so they're looking at those who have freedom in Christ and they're saying, well, you can't have that freedom. You should be doing these things like I'm doing these things. Because look how spiritual I am by doing these things for God. So those who are more restricted are not to argue that they are more pious because they are doing more for God. So I'm going to say this again, and I think I've said this a couple of different ways, but look, just because something is right for you spiritually, it doesn't mean it's right for everyone else. Just because something is right for you spiritually, it does not mean that it is right for everyone else. And here's the kicker. That's okay. If it's okay for you and it's not okay for everyone else. It's okay. Not everyone has to be in the same place at the same time. And you need to trust that just as God is working through something with you, he is working through other things with other people. And that God has a plan for each of us to grow into the people that he wants us to be. So Paul's lesson through chapter 14 is this. Do not let issues divide you. God will judge in the end. Your job, whether you are weak or strong, is to grow together and to encourage one another to grow together, no matter where you are. Now, we had to go over all this again because there were several questions that came up from these teachings. And the primary question that came up after last week was, how are we supposed to tell which issues are big and which issues are small? And how are we supposed to tell which issues uh, we are supposed to sort of push through on and make sure everybody is agreement on, in agreement on, and which issues we need to let go of? Now, it's worth noting, again, that the issues the Roman church was facing were not small issues by any means. So we cannot, <clears throat> we cannot cheapen this passage by making it seem like the issues they were dealing with were really, like, trivial. Because to them, they were not trivial. They were real matters of spiritual division within the church. And there is no shortage of our own issues that we could slot into this line of questioning. What issues should we hold on to and which ones should we let go of? We can look back on our own history and see all of the things just from Churches of Christ that have divided the church. And there was a time, and there still are for some, when people believed that if you used instruments in worship, you were going to hell. 
to hell because you use worship in instruments, or use instruments in worship. Thank you. You know, you know what I mean. There are still some people who believe that that's true and who would argue that if, because we use a, a keyboard and we use an ukulele up here, that we are endangering our very souls. To which I say, well, have you ever tried worshiping with an ukulele? But, you know, that's, that's just... Churches have divided over this question. Relationships have been broken over this question. People have stopped talking to each other. They have said bad things about one another. And so let's use this for a second because we might ask, well, what then should have been done within this scenario? One group believed that they had the freedom to worship with instruments. The other side could not go along with it. Their conscience would not let them. Well, one thing that we can note is that most often in these situations, there were two things present that kept any sort of reasonable resolution happening. You know what they were? Condescension and judgment. Those who felt freedom looked down on those who didn't feel the same way. And those who felt restricted and that they shouldn't do it judged those who decided they should. And so within the writings of Paul, we see the very things show up in our own issues that Paul was talking about with the Roman church. And it was that condescension and judgment that kept churches from working through these kinds of issues together. Although, I will say, there are some churches that have moderately successfully done that by having different kinds of services for their church members, one without instruments, one with instruments. But let me ask you something. If a church is going to do that, to have two different worship services, one without instruments and one with instruments, then what is the understanding they have had to come to before they can do that? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay for you to worship with instruments. It's not my thing. I'm not there yet. But it's okay for you to. And it's okay for you to worship without instruments. It's fine. You do that and you lift up the name of God in that way. But the thing we learn is that it's impossible to work through any issue, no matter what it is, if we are committed to being right more than we are committed to working through the issue with one another. And that church is the real problem. It's not the issue itself. Whatever the issue may be, the problem is we believe we must be right. And when two sides are dealing with the spiritual matter, and they both have been formed by God, then how is it that one and the other don't agree? This applies to us, too, uh, with more recent issues than we've gone through. And as we said last week, Paul does not consider uh, following Jesus to be an arbitrary act, meaning um, Paul recognizes that even though there are these things, and, and keep in mind, holy days and what you should or should not eat comes from what part? I mean, where did they get that information from, those who followed it? They, they got it from the law. 
So it's not like they were making up things in order to observe them for God. So they got these things from the law. Let me find out where I was. Here we go. Uh, So Paul does not consider any of this to be arbitrary. In other words, he doesn't think that we get to sit back and decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. And he does say within uh, Scripture, and we're going to see this more today, that the Scripture is our guide to the things that are right or wrong. But there are a few things that we have to remember if we're going to talk about, well, where do we draw the lines and where do we not? There's a few things we must remember as we take what Romans has to say into account. Number one, the readers of this letter would have most likely only had access to this letter and not to the other scriptures. While it's possible that they might have had prior knowledge of Hebrew scripture, they would most likely not have had a copy for their own use. So most of, most of what they had to go on in terms of living as a Christian community came from this letter itself. Number two, there were not any other churches in town. So the idea of splitting over things like holy days or food would have seemed to Paul to be the height of foolishness. When the state is hunting you down and wanting to keep you from meeting, it sounds a little shallow to not be together and unified because you eat different things. Right? It just... So, so Paul, Paul has no sense for, for what that could have been like or what that could have meant. So what does that tell us? It tells us that the list of things that were important to this group of people, the list of things that maybe they would not bend or break over, those things were naturally smaller than the list which we have today. Our list is pretty big. The things, you know, the hills that we would die on. We have a lot of hills that we would die on. And in part, it's easier for us to die on those hills. Why? Because we can find a church that's on the hill where we stand. And that has all the things we want and all the things, none of the things that we don't. It is for this reason that I think we need to follow the principles that Paul has laid out for us here and recognize that when Paul says that you need, as the stronger person, to walk along with the weaker person. We need to recognize that someone's relationship with God has to start somewhere. And people grow at different rates. And we have to trust God as people come to know him and they begin to grow. Which is something that is so convicting then about the teachings of Romans. Because if you were just to take Romans and not to take any other part. So if we are in this church and we just have Romans, what are the things that we would say are the core principles that we cannot violate? Number one, all are in need of a savior and Jesus is that savior. Number two, no one is better than anyone else for we have all sinned and failed. Number three, we are all being formed into the shape of Jesus as we are die as we die and are buried and resurrected with him 
And number four, we are to love people as Jesus loved us. If you were to just take Romans, I think those are the four. Maybe you could add a couple more to that. Those are the four things that you could pull are unbreakable, unbendable things. The values of the community that, that would not be violated. Now, here's what's frustrating about that for us, okay? You ready? Um, that doesn't give us an definitive answer about some things that we want a definitive answer about. It doesn't spell things out for us in the way that we want them to. But there's a certain beauty in that, you see. Because while we might feel pressure to say, well, I'm not sure that someone can be a part of the community of Christ if they think this, or if they believe this, or if they practice that. Romans challenges us to understand that no matter where someone is in their faith, no matter how strong or weak they are, guess what? We all start in the same place. And that place is the gospel. That we are in need of a Savior and that Jesus died for us. And all of us, no matter who we are, and no matter what we think about certain things or other things, if we are following Jesus, if we are following God, then we are all being formed into the shape of Jesus, even if we're not at the same place. Here's a dirty secret. The church is not a place for all of those who are spiritually on the same level. And it never has been, and it never was supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a place for anyone who wants to come to know Jesus. No matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what they think or believe about some certain things, yeah, this is the place for them. And too often in our country, and in other parts of the world too, but in our country, you have had to look exactly like whoever is in that church in order to go there. And that's not how it should be. Because the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. And Jesus is for all who would come to him. So chapter 15 of Romans then just builds on these ideas that we saw in chapter 14. So let's pick it up in verses 1 through 4. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Okay. This puts strength and weakness into another kind of new frame for us. So if we have been thinking that we as the strong or you as the strong or whoever is the strong is supposed to guide and correct the weak, that's not what Paul has said in any of these places. Instead, if you are strong in your faith, then what kind of person will you be? 
Will you be proving to everyone else you were right and showing them just how strong you are, or will you be something else? Because Paul tells us something a little bit weird here about our strength, something that we within uh, churches here are not used to hearing. Your strength is not intended to only be good for you and to draw you closer to God. Your strength is also for others. So a question you might have to consider is this. Is someone else's spiritual life as important to you as yours? And the answer, if you are strong, is yes. Someone else's spiritual life is just as important as yours. To Paul, it was not enough that the strong simply put up with the weak and remained strong while the weak remained weak. Instead, the strong were to bear the weaknesses of those who were not in the same place that they were, those who were less mature. And rather than the strong insisting on their own way, they were to be supportive of those who faith, whose faith was not as strong. Now, this goes against the temptation that we, those who are strong or consider them st themselves strong have in today's church. Because what are the strong ready to do? They're ready to move on to go ahead, to, to progress, to use whatever freedom it is that God has given them. They're ready to move on past the struggles of the weak, but Paul insisted that the strong be supportive and helpful to those who are weak. And that rather than pleasing themselves and trying to go stronger in God, the way that they proved their strength was going back and helping anyone who was weak, taking care of their spiritual needs and walking along with them. At no point... In any of this, does Paul say that the strong need to bring the weak to their level? Have you noticed that? He doesn't say, so make them think like you. Why? Because it's not your job to do that. It is God who is going to do that. The strong help the weak. Get to wherever God is by loving them. And most importantly, they do not lord their strength over those who are weak. After all, Paul argues, who are you supposed to be modeling yourself after? This is one of those times where Jesus is the correct answer. <laughs> right? You're supposed to be modeling yourselves after Jesus. And how did Jesus treat the weak? How did the most spiritually strong person that ever lived treat the weak? He loved them right where they were and allowed the love and truth of God to change their lives. So here is a core teaching from these two chapters that we have to grasp. The stronger you become in your faith, the less concern you will have for yourself and the more concern you will have for others, period. Let's pick it up in verses 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this is an interesting prayer for us, 
But again, we see here that, that we are to pray for that God would give us what? Endurance and encouragement so that we would view others as Jesus Christ does. And it's not just so that we as individuals might make it through, but so that we might stick with one another and encourage each other because the product of us sticking to one another and encouraging each other is that God is glorified. God is glorified by you pouring yourself into someone else. God is glorified. And Paul's wish was that God would give the church in Rome a spirit of unity. His desire was that they would mind the same things among each other. And it doesn't mean that they should all come to the same conclusion. Instead, what he wants from them is a unity of perspective, that no matter where they are on the growth spectrum, they are all there because of Jesus. And they are all there because of his love for them, and they are all changing because of who Jesus is. So Paul finishes this section, as he's almost, uh, he's about to finish the letter to Rome, with these words. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, and him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Interesting. To Paul, what does this entire discussion, as he's wrapping up Romans, what does it come down to? If we have accepted the overwhelming grace of God through Jesus, then we are going to accept others just as Jesus has accepted us. And he accepted us with all of our faults and flaws. And yes, he expects us to change, but he also gives us time to change and helps us change in the ways that he wants us to. So Paul says your differences are not great enough to drive you apart if you are in Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, church, in Jesus Christ, we are brought together. We are not pushed apart. And the real story of the community is how we are all joined together, Jew or Gentile, formerly pagan or formerly worshiper of God. No matter where you are from, you are all joined together in Jesus Christ to bring glory to God. Because Jesus Christ is the one who overcomes all things. Jesus Christ is the one who overcomes all things. And this is what these hymns are about that Paul closes with. They're about the fact that people from different places are drawn together to praise the God who unites us all in Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? 
So I know that I probably did not answer your questions about a specific issue. That was intentional on my part. I'm hesitant to give you something definitive from the pulpit, lest I short-circuit something that God is telling you to think about. And if you want to have a further discussion about anything or any specific things, you know, I'm available to you. <clears throat> but if there's one thing I think we can learn from this study coming through this, is that rather than deciding where I fall on a particular issue, I might need to start somewhere else first. Does the person that I am dealing with know and understand the love that God has for them? Because if they don't, then all of my time and energy and effort needs to go into that endeavor. That they might know and understand the love that God has for them. Are they growing in their relationship with God? Is God doing something in them and forming something in them? Because if he is, praise God for that, even if it's different than what God is doing in me. Well, and what if they haven't figured this out yet? Or they haven't, you know, they're not doing this yet. And what if they're so immature? Well, trust that God will grow them. And put your own worries and concerns aside and begin to walk with them. So that as someone who has known God and the love of Jesus longer, you might help their relationship with God grow. But be at the pace that God is at, not at your own pace. Because ultimately, we see in ourselves that being right about something is much less important than whether we love and are walking with those who are different than us. So what issues should keep us apart? I'm not sure there's many. So let us be a church that clings to the gospel, that knows and recognizes our own need for Jesus, and that we may praise God when others, no matter who they are or where they're from, come to know Jesus through us. What a wonderful thing that is.